Okay. I, my name is Kim Hunt, and Bill Laswell is not here. I'm going to rat him out. He's uh, the guy fell in love a few years back and married, a, married, married his gal, and they are on their anniversary, uh, their fifth anniversary. Uh, they just took a little trip out of town, and um, so I am, I am here with you guys this morning. So I am very excited uh, to be with you today, so excited under these lights, as you can tell. This is not nervousness, I promise, so. <laughs> All right. Well, if you've been with us the past couple weeks, um, Bill started a series about two weeks ago about uh, the gospel, and he's been sharing with us uh, the good news about uh, Jesus and his coming and what that meant. And he's been going through, you know, how our story began as us walking with God and how amazing, you know, that was and how um, that story reveals a place in it where, where made in his image, and we were hanging with God, and God made Adam, and if, as you read in, in Genesis, you know, God says, Adam, name the animals. Whatever you want to name them, that's what they'll be called, and, you know, I'm imagining how cool that is. You know, some people want to know, well, well, why is this called this, and why is that called that? I can't wait to see God to ask him. Well, you probably want to ask Adam because God <laughs> let him name him. So, um, you know, so it was pretty cool in the beginning. And then, you know, something happened and it all, it all went wrong. So in the absence of God having influence in our life, you know, humanity has just been in, in search of trying to find something to replace that. You know, without having God there, there's that emptiness. There's something there that we, we long to fill with um, something else, you know, something more. You know, what is it at our core that we want to, you know, to fill that with? So... So it's exposed a problem for us. So what we've done is we've adopted rules. We've adopted rules to guide us, to keep things in line. It helps with games, like soccer games and football games. If we didn't have rules, you know, it would be a mess. Um, Highways would probably be a, to a total mess. And so those kinds of rules are good rules, right? We could agree upon that. But when it comes to relationships, if somebody burns us, somebody hurts us, we put up walls, we build rules. If somebody, um, you know, is doing something wrong, then we become legalistic. You know, we, they, should, they should fall in line. They should... Um, 
they should be doing right, you know? So we make rules. Why can't they follow the rules? So, hold on, let me see where I am. All right, here we go. All right, so man was just never designed to operate apart from God. You know, it just doesn't work well. It's not, that's not the design. Now, we can function, we can do well, you know, we can go about our lives, we can um, live independent from God, and we can, you know, do things like, you know, get married, have friends, and have children, but we've been cut off from, from the one influence and the one source that tells us who we're supposed to be, who gives us our identity, who gives us the influence we need to be like who we were created to be. So it's very, very important. So one of... Um, one example that we want to use this morning, um, it's not exactly a perfect example, but it's a good one. It's kind of a nerdy example. But um, the Mars rover Curiosity, as you can see, it's kind of a terrible picture, but um, because everything on Mars seems to be brown, <laughs> so covered in dirt. But um, Anyway, the Curiosity was built to function by, like, it can charge itself with its solar panels. It can, you know, drive around. It can take samples. It has so many cameras on it. It is very expensive. It's the size of a small car, but its function, like, it, it doesn't know what to do aside from getting signal from mankind here on earth. Like it doesn't, like its purpose is to do what it's programmed to do. So if it doesn't get a signal, then it just sits there. You know, it could go, it could charge, it'll charge up with its solar panels. It knows to get itself into a place where it can charge. And, but from what I've read about it, it takes about nine hours to program its path, its job, what it's going to collect, what it's going to look at, um, the terrain through satellite imaging that they take it on so that it, they don't lose it over a crater or something like that. So, you know, much like mankind, it's without its creator's input, it's kind of useless. It doesn't have a purpose. So, I mean, it can keep functioning, but without the input from the creator, it, it's just a vehicle on another planet. So, so kind of like, kind of like, um, you know, we're, we're kind of like that too. You know, we kind of can function like that, but, you know, we're cut off from that relationship with God. So, another example of when machines go bad are, is an example that Bill helped me to find for our talk today. And it is a, a movie trailer from 1973. And it is supposed to be a top of the line luxury vacation destination. 
and it is run completely by robots, and it is uh, set up, it's called Westworld, and it is supposed to be a place where you can go and live out all your fantasies. Um, one is uh, the Wild West, another is Ancient Rome, and there's yet another one, and so there's two guys who go on this trip, and so we have the trailer for you this morning, so we can see what don't we have the trailer this morning? I sent you the link. Okay, we don't have the trailer this morning. My apologies. Okay, anyways, um, okay, it's 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 called Westworld because uh, it is the Wild West. Well, um, one of the robots decides to go rogue and starts to, instead of having a fake shootout, this, uh, this robot actually has real bullets and starts killing people. And then the other uh, resort areas, they, they start, you know, doing the same thing. So, you know, the people are supposed to be completely safe and they're not supposed to get hurt in these dangerous, you know, environment. The Wild West was dangerous, right? And so... They're supposed to be going to these um, places that are safe, and this turns out to not be a very safe, safe place. So, anyways, that was an example of how how machines take on, you know, their own way and and do something that is against what their creator had created them for. And so sometimes that's us as well when we go against what God had intended us for, is that we can take our own path and we can make it to where we hurt other people. Not necessarily to the extent, but in some cases, yeah, people have hurt and killed other people. Um, so, you know, the rebellion in, in, that, in that movie was very costly. The disconnection was that they lost their purpose and they became very dangerous. And if you, um, if you just look at the world today, if you turn on the news, I know I talk to a lot of people. I love the news. I absolutely love to watch it. I don't know why, but um, you know, sometimes there's a glimmer of hope story in there and you just grab onto those. But most people I talk to, they're like, oh, I hate watching the news. But Jeff knows, you know, he would even, you know, stop and pause it for me at 10 o'clock just so I could watch it. But um, you just have to watch the news and you see what this world looks like. You get a glimpse, you know, you know, what mankind looks like when it's lost its purpose and lost its connection to its creator, it's become a very dangerous place. People have become dangerous towards one another. They don't look anything like their creator sometimes, right? So then you have people like us who are on a search always looking for their purpose. So sometimes, um, you know, you get a lot of people through Alpha who are 
looking in Alpha's uh, like a 10-week course on, um, you know, the big questions of life. And so people are looking, a lot of times looking for, you know, what's the meaning of life? You know, what's the purpose of life? Well, I seem to find on Google that it seems to be one of the most cartooned things out there. So um, you have those that believe, let's go to the next slide, please. They'll catch up with me. Okay. Some that believe that it's just as simple as this, birth, in between stuff, and death. Is that it? <laughs> Perhaps so. Then you have others who don't have time to figure out the deeper spiritual things. They're too busy trying to figure out the most, you know, important everyday things, especially in April. So, and then you have those, um, these are probably the teenagers. I'm searching for two seconds and I haven't found the meaning of life. Right? <laughs> Is that any of you guys? Next one. And then there's choices. The meaning of life or cheese and crackers. And then this one reminded me of maybe my husband. But maybe not in the suit. <laughs> I don't know where he got the helicopter, but it sounds like him. And this would be my dogs speaking to me. Cheer up, your life isn't meaningless. God puts you on the earth for a purpose, to buy dog food and clean up after me. So this has been a serious conversation in my house. So I'm telling you. So mankind is looking for its purpose, searching looking for a religion, a belief system, a way to behave, a way to act, a way to live that brings peace, that fills the emptiness or that hole at the center, at our core. The absence, there's, there's that absence that is longing to be met and filled. So then God enters into the equation. He enters into this discussion. So in, in the middle of God's endless pursuit or, or in, in man's endless pursuit of what's missing, God has been active all along in this unfolding of the history of mankind. God has been engaging with a certain people group, and he has been involved from the very beginning, from the garden, from, from the time that the separation began. God never left. God never took his eye off the ball. The plan started right then, 
the Old Testament. Some people are like, I don't even understand. That God of the Old Testament, he's pretty harsh. But let me tell you, the Old Testament points to an event in the future, an event in the New Testament of a time that is coming that is going to change the world forever. It's going to turn everything upside down. The Old Testament gives witness to the fact that there's only one God. There's only one creator. And they're one in the same. This God is eternally connected with the affairs of mankind and the destiny of humanity. That he's been there all along. He's never left. That the Old Testament is a witness that the rules and the best efforts from man are not enough to get back to where it was in the garden. You know, the truth is, is we couldn't do it on our own. We never could. You know, all the times that the Israelites tried, it, it was never about them just getting it right or getting the rules right. It wasn't about that. God's intentions are to radically intervene in the condition of man to restore our relationship for once and for all. And it points to the future event that's going to change the world. You see, God is setting, has set in play that this time is going to be this game changer where this point in history, this person is going to turn a switch. It's going to be the hinge that changes everything. So we're going to look at Isaiah 53. So if you have your Bible with you or if you have your device with you and you want to read along with us, this is going to be out of, um, I believe this is the message. I believe it's the message. Yes, Lord, it's just, uh, I was going to keep three, but the fact is, it is our pains that we carry, our disfigurements, all the things that were wrong with us. We thought he brought it unto himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we were healed. We're all like sheep who wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice was carried. And he was let off. And did anyone really know 
what was happening. He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in the grave with a rich man, even though he had never put a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's that guy. It's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself all as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come forth from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad that he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant will make many righteous ones. Righteous ones. As he himself carried the burdens of our sins, therefore, I will reward him extravagantly. The best for everything, the highest honors, because he took death in the face and didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest and he took on his own shoulders the sins of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Thank you, Carlos. So when Jesus began his ministry, he was declaring, the future is here. I am the event. Long before Jersey Shore and the situation, Jesus says, I am the event. There, there would be no other event in history greater than Jesus and what he did on the cross. Foretold by Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, you know, that he didn't have any majesty that day. He was despised and rejected. It was God's plan. It was God's plan that he would take upon himself the sin of everyone, the one that was without sin would take upon himself the sin and the pain of everyone. How amazing. Just, just let that sit. Let that simmer for just a little bit. See, Paul points out that 
all humanity is going to have to surrender all its own designs to accept God's designs. Infinity, would you come and share 1 Corinthians 1.18 with us? This is in the message, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out, it's written. I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching of all things to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. Thank you, Infinity. See, we're not preaching a philosophy. We're not, we're not proclaiming we've got this great idea. No, we are shouting there's an event. Jesus was the event. The event happened. Jesus is real. See, when Paul was going to Athens, when Paul was in Athens in, in Acts 17, and he was going through their shrines and their altars, and he came upon the shrine, uh, the altar to the unknown God. And he says to them, he says, this shrine that you have to the unknown God, I know that God. I serve that God. Let me tell you about him. See, he took every opportunity that he could to declare not some idea, but something that he knew. And so he shared with them about Jesus' death and resurrection. Jeff, I think you're up next. This is going to be Romans 5, 6 through 11. I'm thinking message. Say it on here. Yes. <laughs> it is the message. Uh, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died oh, for the ungodly. Wrong one. Sorry? Which one did I put you on? Romans 5. Oh, that's not you. Christina, I need you. Christina. Sorry. Oh, that's a big difference. Swap. <laughs> <laughs> It's not written on my paper. <laughs> Next time, shout out. <laughs> you really got me here. I know. <laughs> okay, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 25. It's also in the message. While Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations and Greeks go in for philosophical? philosophical wisdom, we go right on proclaiming Christ. The crucified. Jews treat this like an anti-miracle, and Greeks pass it off as absurd. But to us, who are we personally calling by God himself? Both Jews and Greeks 
Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom, all wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is said to, to me, so impotent next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Wow. Thank you. Now that I got who's speaking, we're straight. Thank you, guys. <laughs> That's right. We're reclaiming a message that is life-changing, an event that, that has the power to change lives. You know, Paul was after grasping people's hearts and their minds and their imaginations to, to see their lives changed and transformed. That's what, he, that's what he lived for. That's what he gave his life for. I want to share a story with you about a man named Maximilian Kolbe. You may be familiar with his story, um, but for those of you who may not be, uh, he was a, um, a I think they call him a monk or a Franciscan monk, um, who lived uh, a long time ago in the 1800s. Um, but during uh, the Holocaust, and um, he was actually, um, there's a lot more to his story than just what he became famous for. Um, at the age of 13, he left um, his homeland of Poland where uh, his family was, and he uh, left the country, which it was actually illegal, so that he could go and study um, faith and, and, you know, live, you know. So anyway, so he left, and then he actually came back to Poland. And then there was some peacetime for Poland, and then they were invaded by the Russians. And so during that time, um, he... Uh, he was put in prison for actually helping Jews and hiding Jews. Um, and so he, he is most well known for, um, for, for volunteering to, to be one of the 10 people that were put into a starvation chamber um, in an underground bunker. And his story um, is what is most famous. In July 1941, three prisoners appeared to have escaped from, from the camp that he was being held in, which is Auschwitz. Um, I think I'm saying that right. As the result of the deputy commander of Auschwitz ordered 10 men to be chosen to be starved to death in an underground bunker. When one of the selected men, Francis... Franciszek um, Gagzanowczyk heard he was selected. He cried out, my wife, my children. At this point, Colby volunteered to take his place. The Nazi commander replied, what does this Polish pig want? Father Colby pointed with his hand to be condemned to, to the condemned Franciszek um, yeah, we'll just call him Francis, and repeated, I am a Catholic priest from Poland. I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. 
Rather surprised, the commander accepted Colby in place of Francis. Francis later said, I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on, the immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me, a stranger. Is this some dream? I was put back in my place without having had time to say anything to Maximilian Colby. I was saved, and I owe to him the fact that I could tell you all this. The news quickly spread all around the camp. It was the first and the last time that such an incident happened in the whole history of Auschwitz. Um, Francis actually survived long enough to see um, Colby's canonization in 1971. Um, there was also a witness, um, which was one of the Polish um, Uh, somebody, it was a Polish prisoner who was in charge of t uh, taking care of the prisoners in the, in the uh, bunker. And his witness, when he uh, gave witness to what he saw, um, this is what he said. The ten condemned to death went through terrible days. From the underground cell in which they were shut up, there continually arose the echo of prayers and canticles. The man in charge of emptying the buckets of urine found them always empty. Thirst drove the prisoners to drink the contents. Since they had grown very weak, prayers were now only whispered. At every inspection, when almost all the others were now lying on the floor, Father Colby was seen kneeling or standing in the center as he looked cheerfully in the face of the SS men. Father Colby never asked for anything and did not complain. Rather, he encouraged the others, saying that the fugitive might be found and then they would all be freed. One of the SS guards remarked, this priest is really a great man. We have never seen anyone like him. After about two weeks, nearly all the prisoners had died, except for Colby, who um, they eventually executed uh, with a lethal injection because they wanted to clear out the cell. And um, the news of what he had done had spread throughout the whole entire camp. And it just brought um, a glimpse of light uh, to and, and human dignity to the face of cruelty. So, and what Pope John Paul, who um, also lived through the hatred of the Nazi regime, um, what he said about Maximilian was, Maximilian did not die, but gave his life for his brother. Jeff? I think I'm on the right page now. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this in the message. You see, 
At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemy, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Maximilian Colby's story is a great story, and it's one that is recent, and we can, we can look at that and we can say, wow, he gave his life for a stranger because that man had a wife and he had children. He didn't know him. He didn't know Francis G. Sorry. But how, how do we look at Jesus? Have we become, I don't know, um, have we become, you know, blasé to the cross? Have we become so casual to the fact that Jesus, though we were strangers, we were enemies to Jesus. We were enemies of God. Yet in our sin, Jesus died for us. And he calls us friend. You know, too often... We try to make the cross a place of rules, a place where you got to come, you got to get your life straight, you got to drop off your addiction, you got to drop off this that you're messing with, you got to drop off this stuff that you're thinking about. But do we look at the cross as the place of mercy, the place where Jesus took upon himself everything? Everything that we have done. The things that people know about and things that people don't know about. And he died. So this morning, what I want you to do is, is to think about this event this time that 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 the cross would have a meaning every day that it's not just oh easter's coming i know several years ago you know i've been in this church uh, for a long time you know you've got we prepare for Christmas, we prepare for Easter, 
after a while, you get pretty good at it. You can, you know, start messing with this and you get these decorations going. You got to go buy this stuff and, well, what if we do some of these things over here? We can get so-and-so involved. Are we going to serve food? Are we going to do communion? Are we going to have candles on Christmas Eve? Are the kids going to burn down the building? Or, you know, are we going to let, you know, Kyra have a candle or not? Is that going to be safe? Um, you know, maybe she could just run the camera, but I love that little girl. But, you know, you go through all these questions and you do all these things. And one year I said, God, this Easter... I don't feel like the cross means anything. What does this Easter even mean? God, would you make the cross real again in me? Make it real again in me. And God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. You know, let's, let's take just a, you know, just a minute, if you would, um, let's stand. This morning, um, 